Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. Well, the last seven days have brought us more tricks than treats, like COVID-19 levels spiking. The situation here in all of Cook County, city and suburbs alike, is bad, and it's getting worse. Businesses pushing back. Lawsuits have now been filed on behalf of several restaurants across the area. And concern over Chicago's budget. There's nothing easy about this budget. No easy decisions uh, whatsoever. I'm Justin Kaufman, and we're taking you deep inside those stories and more on WBEZ's Weekly News Roundup. Joining me this week around the virtual table, A.D. Quigg from Crane Chicago Business. A.D., welcome back. Thanks, Justin. And also with us, ProPublica Illinois reporter and columnist Mick Dumkey. Mick, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be here. You know, I was a little surprised about how the mayor was emphasizing the city's post-election plans. AD, take us through that. What, what are they talking about doing on Election Day? Sure. So Mayor Lori Lightfoot said they have been basically preparing for this since this summer with an eye toward potential unrest um, on Election Day. We've known for a while now that we might not actually have results of the presidential election and Senate races on election night. So she said, we've been doing tabletop exercises. We've strengthened partnerships that we have with city agencies, with county folks, with Illinois State Police, with federal partners at the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office to basically mobilize for the next 10 days over Halloween weekend, election day, and after the election, just in case anything happens. And that anything encompasses a lot of different stuff. She said, we test it. We tried out if we have a giant storm, if we have a big COVID Mm. outbreak, if we have uh, violence and looting like we did twice earlier this summer, um, if ballot boxes get set on fire. They basically said we wanted to plan for all eventualities and ensure that we make people feel safe and tell them that we have a plan so that they can feel like they're voting safely. I can't remember in my time, Mick, being in Chicago, a mayor making that kind of press conference before an election. I just interpreted this as... um in addition to giving us some inkling of what they're uh, specifically going to try to do or be ready for, just to try to send the message that, hey, we're thinking about this, mm-hmm. we're going to be prepared, especially the way that people saw and interpreted what happened over the summer and, and how upset people were about yeah. that. But, A.D., I'll ask that question. I, I, just the idea that those the, both of the, the situations that happened this summer were after a, uh, a black man was shot by police. So what makes them jump to the conclusion that there's going to be similar things happening in Chicago uh, based on election results? Any emotionally heightened moment, and I would definitely count this election as an emotionally heightened moment, gives rise to concerns about massive protests. And even back in 2016, the city saw protests after Donald Trump's election. So she said, given how keyed up everyone is, how emotional this is, what large stakes we have here, we want to show everyone that we're ready and make everyone feel okay and that we don't get caught off guard by all the different things happening right now because we not only have this election but we have these these new covid restrictions and there's so much going on right now and the city basically is saying we want to be prepared for all of it there's obviously discussions going on around the country about getting ballots in access to the polls what you know safety of getting access to the polls both because of covid and then potential threats or even people who uh, claiming they're not being threatening, who have talked about their right to carry arms into the polling places, stuff like this going on around the country. So mm-hmm. it just seems wise to me that they would not only have a plan, of course, but also 
uh, try to let people know that they have a plan. Yeah, I just I, I agree with you. I think that preparation is important. It's good to say, hey, and communication as well. But I don't know, when you start talking about dump trucks and, and blocking uh, streets and things like that, it, it just seems like it's it's more inevitable than preventative. Uh, interesting story. All right, let's move on to COVID-19. Yesterday, Illinois reported a new daily high for the states, uh, over 6,300 confirmed cases, 56 additional deaths. AD, uh, talk about the response we're seeing on the state and local level. I'm always kind of astonished to look at these every day. Our test positivity is at 8.1%. Wow. Daily tests are at 12,000. Daily cases are at 841. That's up about 25% from a week ago. We're approaching a cumulative total in Chicago of 100,000 cases. So this week, mitigations ramped up big time. Um, We saw some last week from the mayor. It's been very confusing. So I'll just say, here's where they stand, not here's how they've changed. So no indoor drinking or dining. No booze purchases from grocery stores or liquor stores or Walgreens after 9 p.m. And the city's mitigations will now match the state. Basically, everything closes at 11 p.m. That includes liquor sales at bars and restaurants. You could still do carryout of cocktails and beer. But this week was notable not only for more mitigations, but kind of this back and forth Mm -hmm. uh, between the mayor and the governor. What did you think of that, Mick? The the governor putting out the restrictions, the mayor first stepping out saying we want him to change that and then ultimately agreeing with him. Well, I thought that it was just a sign that uh, our governing officials, like the rest of us, are incredibly frustrated and looking for answers, and there aren't any good answers. You know, we could bore into the politics a little bit. I'm sure uh, Lori Lightfoot wanted to be seen as standing up for the restaurant and bar industry, um, especially after, as A.D. mentioned, she had uh, restricted the hours that they could operate So it's the old adage, they're trying to control the things that they can control. And that's, uh, you know, putting restrictions on these businesses. They really can't control people independently deciding to get together in the privacy of their own homes. So I think they're just trying to be seen as doing something about stuff that's within their power to to act on. Well, this morning, A.D., the Illinois Restaurant Association had their press conference. They're they're threatening legal action. They're going to do legal action against the governor. They... uh, are completely against uh, any mitigation when it comes to, you know, closing down indoor restaurants here in not just Chicago, but the state of Illinois. I mean, they're becoming sort of a political player here in the way that they're representing restaurants, but they're also getting, uh, you know, they're, they're being heard uh, in the political arena right now. I think the Illinois Restaurant Association has been a political player this entire time. They just haven't had to be an oppositional political player. I think they've been at the table with Uh, The mayor, they love saying, we like being at the table, not on the menu over and over. (laughs) They're in a tough spot with their members. A lot of their members' restaurants and bars will close because there's not enough revenue. They can't make it through. But in the end, the governor has won on most of these things. On many of these lawsuits brought against him, they have a far more winning record than they have uh, a losing one. And the other thing is the mitigations have been the mitigations for some time. The governor laid these out back early in the summer. Um, It just sounds like as soon as it got to Chicago and the suburbs that it became a really big problem. And I think folks were hoping for a few more weeks of a mix of indoor and outdoor business and having indoor completely shut down has a big impact. Well, the Illinois Restaurant Association says 5,000 restaurants have already closed. We've also seen, Mick, in in outside of Chicago, you've seen a number of restaurants say they're going to defy the order. Is the stick going to work any better than the carrots have? I'm not sure that it will. But you're totally right, Justin. I mean, we see... People, uh, we're in an age where we see people like on social media posting proudly pictures of themselves in social environments where they're not wearing masks. I saw a conservative talk show host who shall not be named uh, here uh, posting proudly with a group of unmasked people 
at a suburban restaurant uh, basically saying, look, we're defying the, the rules. And again, I just want to come back to everyone is frustrated. I, I certainly sense that yeah. uh, the people trying to lead us through these multiple crises are incredibly frustrated. What's been interesting to see is how the governor and his team tried to message this, because obviously we've all been hearing these messages for months and months. You have to social distance. You have to wear a mask. You have to wash your hands. And at some point, people, that frustration and COVID fatigue that we're all hearing, I think is becoming difficult for people to get over. But if we saw Dr. Zike last week, this kind of shook me anew. You know, I'm the, one of the people that updates our COVID charts every day. And Dr. Zike broke down in tears the other week, thinking about all the people that will have a Thanksgiving dinner with a family member not there. And what I think leaders are so tired and frustrated by is they're trying to save people's lives. And like Mick said, people are proudly, proudly defying it. I, I don't know how you message, how you message that people are dying yeah. um, and get people to really hear it. Let's just talk about what's really happening here. From the top down, federal government, the president of the United States is one of these people, okay, who has openly defied, uh, proudly defied, made it basically a, uh, a theme of his campaign to defy the uh, advice of the top officials in his own administration. And so I think that's why we have this topsy-turvy situation. There is no unified message coming from the top about what we're supposed to do. Sure, there more or less is among public health people, but you have all these other political leaders who have tremendous clout and influence who are defying it and saying they're going to defy it. And a lot of people actually believe in what they're saying. Others, it's just a moment where, you know, to be the opposition to the public health people, to be the opposition to uh, the governors inclined to impose these kinds of uh, mitigations, which are really restrictions, that's just in political favor with a certain group of, of people. It's, it's astounding. Okay, that's Mick Dumkey. He's with ProPublica Illinois. We're also joined by A.D. Quigg of Crane Chicago Business. Well, we still get a lot of stories making the news this week. Stories like these. Newly released police camera footage reveals some of what happened just before an officer fired the deadly shots last week in Waukegan. As the Supreme Court ruled on the consequential ballot case in Wisconsin, the Senate confirmed Amy Coney Barrett to become the nation's newest justice. Six years after he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame as a manager, Tony La Russa is back, where his coaching career began 41 years ago as manager of the White Sox. All right, I mean, things that happened on Monday feel like they happened weeks ago, months ago. What a week. All right, AD, let's turn to the city budget. It's going to go into hearings. It looks like the Progressive Caucus is going to make their asks. Are you thinking that the mayor will start to see some roadblocks put up for this budget? The fact that Amy Coney Barrett was Monday and also the the first budget hearing was Monday, that feels like (laughs) a month ago. I know. So aldermen have had a, a bit of time to go through things. They got briefed by finance officials on Monday, and they've been going through departmental hearings the rest of the week. Another easy thing to get fatigued by because these things last from like 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. And it's all over Zoom. But to bring everyone up to speed, the budget is three big pots, basically borrowing cuts and new revenue. And it's enough to make kind of everybody mad. But what Alderman from the Progressive Caucus specifically said this week was we need to figure out how we can avoid this $94 million property tax increase Mm -hmm. and how we can avoid these 350 layoffs. And the things that they've suggested a couple of them would not be good for the city's already kind of shaky debt ratings. They are are advocating both or either aggressive borrowing, getting more aggressive with this already 1.7 billion refinancing we're planning to do, or drawing down more on the city's reserves, 
which is also not uh, smiled upon by ratings agencies. Mm. We're just going to continue to see pushback on both the property tax hike, because no alderman likes property tax hikes, regardless of your ideology. And I think the layoffs, too, because no one wants to lay anybody off in the middle of a recession. Yeah. We had the mayor on Wednesday, and she, or it was yesterday, I asked her about horse trading, Mick. <laughs> I just asked her, like, are, are you going to be giving some of these uh, goodies to aldermen uh, so that you could pass your budget? And she said she's not for sale. Uh, so she, she kind of campaigned on the idea that it's not going to be business as usual, and that business as usual is how budgets got passed. So is she in a tougher spot because she's not going to be able to compromise with some, some of the issues in this budget? You don't have to be for sale to engage in horse trading. Um, that is part of compromise. That's part of politics. As I understand it, she has proposed to create a new city council committee that would essentially keep one of her allies in a committee chairmanship as part of this budget. That's certainly doesn't seem uh, absolutely necessary if we're looking for cuts across the board. So the notion she's not engaging any kind of horse trading, I think, is is pretty silly. Um, and I would hope that she does because she needs to get something passed. I think the bigger problem, Justin and AD, is that she doesn't have a lot to horse trade with. There's not much mm-hmm. money here. Everything mm-hmm. that AD just laid out is going to cost taxpayers one way or another, whether it's a property tax hike, whether it is increased fines and fees, whether it is um, reduced services, which in turn people will have to, you know, probably uh, come up with some other way to, to get those services, to clean up their neighborhoods, whatever, or whether it's uh, basically, you know, increased costs for the debt that the city has, the very substantial debt that the right. city has. So there's no free pass here. This budget process is going to be, uh, certainly it's about money, but it's about politics. It's about which groups you're going to be asking to pay now and how much of this you can kind of put off and hope that things improve or hope that some aid comes from the feds or the state later. Yeah. Another story I want to, I want to move on to uh, Waukegan. The fatal police shooting of a 19-year-old uh, black man in Waukegan, uh, Marcellus Stinnett. And the city said, you know what, they fired the police officer and they said, we're going to release these videos. We're going to show you, we're going to be transparent, we're going to do everything that other police departments haven't. But the videos came out. And what did we find, Mick? What, what was on the video or what wasn't on the video, uh, more importantly? Once again, this police officer didn't have a body camera that was activated. And mm-hmm. so, as I understand it, there are gaps in what we are able to see. And um, so many of these things uh, fall into some kind of gray space. But over and over again, uh, it's one name after another. But people are just left wondering, why do the police have to keep shooting people? Why aren't there some... Uh, other approaches, why aren't there some other alternatives, even if you're talking about the need for law enforcement, why isn't there another series of alternatives or systems in place to keep people from getting shot? That's the issue we keep coming back to. Yeah, you always hope when there's body cam footage or dash cam footage that you'll get the whole story. We don't, and we're not, and it's playing out everywhere. It's played out here in Chicago. It's hard and discouraging to try to keep up with all of these cases. We had the case in Philadelphia. Obviously, Chicago has had its long history with with this kind of stuff. And I don't want to bring it back to the budget every time, but this is something that aldermen are considering in this budget. What are some ways that we can actually work to reform the department and not mix things up just at the edges, but seriously rethink about how it operates and what its mandates are? Mm -hmm. And part of that, that's not directly related to this, but kind of is in terms of thinking differently about how police operate is who is responding to these calls Um, And what are they responsible for? So something progressive aldermen want to do is have a mental health professional respond to mental health calls. And they don't like the mayor's current idea, which includes 
an officer who can use deadly force responding to the scene at the same time. Um, so this is this has played out for months and months. I cities around the country are grappling with this in the wake of George Floyd, but this has been going on for years. Yeah. AD, I always love talking to you right before the election because you break down the races that are important. Uh, which, which ones are you watching locally? Because we're obvi- obviously uh, there's so many uh, all eyes are in the Senate and the, and the White House, but but locally, what are the races that uh, Illinoisans should be paying attention to? So I will give you my, my brief overview. I care a lot about what happens to the fair tax and how quickly we find out the fate of that. That might be a couple days because of um, the way these ballot initiatives work out. I'm interested in whether Mike Madigan grows his current supermajority into a super-duper majority. <laughs> he, has, um, he has a 74 That's seat. a technical term. That's a technical <laughs> political term. Um, so it's 74 right now, but if he wins all of the races that he's outspending Republicans on in the House, he could have eight more seats, which is just a crazy number. Wow. I'm also interested in Kim Fox. This has been a big money race, a big political race. We've seen some downtown aldermen defecting to Pat O'Brien. Uh, we saw Kamala Harris come in and endorse her this week. We're seeing tons of ugly ads, uh, but we haven't had a we haven't had a Republican state's attorney here since 1996, I think. So wow. I, I'm just. I'm interested to see what the margins are there. Yeah, uh, Jack O'Malley, right? <laughs> the last, That's right. Uh, yeah, the last uh, state's attorney. Uh, Mick, what about you? What are you looking at? I would just add to um, what AD said, her list, uh, with uh, the congressional races. There's a couple here that could affect, uh, probably not um, control the U.S. House, although who knows? Everything is so crazy. But um, it'll be interesting to see if Democrats can hold on to a couple of the seats they picked up in the suburbs or, uh, you know, right outside of Chicago area uh, two years ago, and then if they can make any more inroads in other congressional seats here. So I think that's uh, definitely something to watch. Yeah. My last uh, story to bring up in our Friday News Roundup is Tony La Russa and the White Sox. Uh, you know, uh, Mick, I know you're a baseball fan. Tony La Russa coming back to baseball at 76 years old. He'll be the oldest manager in, in baseball. What's your thought on, on bringing him back to the South Side? You know what, Justin? I was thinking, man, it's good to be 15 years old again. Because, um, uh, yeah, he was manager. I remember from uh, when you and I, about the same age, I think yeah. AD's a little bit younger than us. Um, we won't hold it against her. But, uh, you know, remember him uh, managing at the old Comiskey Park, going to games at the old Comiskey Park. So my first impression and one of my best friends from growing up um, who is, uh, as you know, I'm a Cubs guy first and foremost, but my friend who's a diehard Sox fan was just a, you know, WTF question mark with the text that I got. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are scratching their heads. He's been out of the game for almost a decade. That said, he is a hall of famer. He's won uh, three world series titles at two different clubs. And, you know, I, we'll see if he can work some magic again. I mean, what what are you thinking? What would you yeah. actually I know you're I don't a know. Sox I, guy, right? I'm a Sox guy, and it's tough. I mean, yeah, he wins wherever he goes. And I saw a great uh, – someone put up on Facebook just the idea that, you know, we've tried the uh, player managers or, the or, you know, the pl- the managers that relate to the players. How's that gone so far? <laughs> Let's just bring in manager who wins. <laughs> AD, what's your thought? What's your thought on Tony La Russa? So I am only a Sox fan because my dad is a Sox fan. So I texted him to ask what he thought. And he said, good move. He's smart. That's all he said. <laughs> and then I, <laughs> I also pulled my, my Bridgeport sources. And they said, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf always regretted firing him in the 80s. So there's a little bit of politics there. But the biggest worry is his ability to relate with younger players. There you go. Which, which will be interesting to watch. That is the extent of my analysis on La Russa. Yeah, there you go. I love it. <laughs> 
This is the best analysis I've heard so far. Your dad was was right. Some Bridgeport sources. (laughs) The Bridgeport sources. All right, that's it for the Friday News Roundup. Thanks to our panel today, A.D. Quigg of Crane Chicago Business and Mick Dumkey of ProPublica Illinois. A.D., Mick, thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Justin. And that's WBEZ's weekly news roundup for the best Q&A around the COVID-19 pandemic. Watch this podcast feed on Sunday for our conversation with Dr. Mia Taramina. And take 10 seconds to give us a rating. It really helps other people find this podcast. I'm Justin Kaufman. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you right back here next week. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.